Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Welcome to the Joe Beam Show. We're happy to have you with us tonight. We're going to be talking about something that a lot of people who are trying to make relationships work somehow seem to get a little confused about, particularly if they're people of faith. This is what I mean. We work with a lot of people that you would understand who are in relationships that are in trouble, and they want those relationships to work out, particularly marriages. And so let's say we have one spouse and the other spouse doesn't want to stay, with, stay in the marriage for any number of reasons. Maybe that spouse feels controlled and just wants to be free and get away. Maybe there's an addiction problem going on and he or she is saying, I don't want to be with you because I don't want to deal with your addiction any longer. Or sometimes maybe the one that doesn't want to be in the marriage is doing so, wanting to leave the marriage because they are involved with someone else. Maybe in very intense emotional and or sexual affair. And often what we see when people talk to us or when they post on Facebook and other places, they'll say, if I just have enough faith, he or she will come back because I know that God's going to work this out. And they pray intently and I'm all for that. I'm all for prayer. I am a Christian. We are people of faith. At the same time, does that really make sense that God's going to make that other person do what you want that person to do? Or sometimes they don't even talk about it from a God standpoint. They do it from their own standpoint and say, if I just believe strongly enough, then what I believe will happen. You can achieve what you believe. Listen, I believe that that's actually true most of the time, but not always. So how do we balance out faith? Having faith that God is there if we are a believer, having faith in our own selves, our own mind, our own ability to do things. And how in the world can we get past living through fear? Because we know if we live in fear that things don't work out for us at all. As a matter of fact, actually, the things we fear tend to come upon us. And so we have a person here that's, I think, the epitome of faith. Kimberly Holmes, who is our executive director at Marriage Helper, who has been teaching me a lot about the power of faith and how it overcomes fear. And I want her to begin tonight talking about this subject. And we'll talk about it some together after she talks about it to begin with. And then we'll eventually go to the phone call. So, Kimberly, how would you like to address faith and fear? Start by talking about a personal situation that I experienced that was really life changing to me and really is what brought upon this this whole thing in my mind and and in my life of realizing that there is a difference in faith and fear and that faith wasn't exactly what I originally thought it was. So when a a few years ago, uh, there were some difficult things going on in my marriage that I'm, I don't want to talk about specifically tonight, but there, it was a very rough time. It was the roughest time that my husband and I have experienced to date in our marriage. And there were things going on that I didn't that that were not in light at that time that I didn't know about. And all I had was fear. All I had was something's going on. I don't know what it is. And I'm scared. And that happened for for many months. And I just lived with this feeling settling in my life of I know something's happening. I know that this marriage isn't the way that it used to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And all of my thoughts were just 
scared. I was scared of of the marriage ending. I was scared of what might happen next. I was scared of so many different things. And fear is what was guiding my thoughts. When I woke up throughout the day, the thoughts that infiltrated my mind were terrible. They were just very fearful. And it wasn't until I experienced a women's conference at my church. My my husband and I had moved. We started going to a new church and I went to this women's conference and a couple of the speakers there started talking about faith in a way that I had never really thought of it. And two of them particularly that stuck out to me were Lisa Harper and Christine Kane. And I know many of you out there probably are very familiar with one, if not both of those ladies, which are just absolutely on fire for God. And the first one that I heard was Lisa Harper. And if you know about Lisa Harper, then you know that she adopted, she's single. She's always been single. And she adopted a little girl from, I'm not sure where I think it's Haiti, but she she adopted a little girl from Haiti who had AIDS. And the child still has AIDS and um, is on medication and it's being managed. And she was telling a story about when she went to visit a church here in the Nashville area, because Lisa's from Nashville. And she said there was a woman that got up and gave her testimony that morning or that afternoon, whenever it was. And she also had a child that had a a life-threatening disease. And the woman was up there and she said that I know, the, the woman who had the child at the church, she got up there and she said, I know that God will heal my son. And when Lisa was telling this at the conference, Lisa paused and she said, I knew that God could heal my little girl who has AIDS. I knew that he could. But the difference between me and that woman who was up on stage is I believed God could, but she believed that God would. And when I heard Lisa say that, I thought, man, that's how I've lived my whole life. I believe that God can do things, but I I think that he's all powerful. I think that anything God wants to do, God can do. But I don't necessarily believe that God will do things. That I can that I can have enough faith that God that it will move God and that God will move on behalf of me. And the next speaker that got up throughout the three day conference was Christine Kane. And one of the things that she said that just absolutely rocked my world was, when we pray, we move God, and when we move God, God moves mountains. And the whole premise of that whole weekend was having faith and having faith in a way I had never had faith before. And so I set out from that weekend with a new conviction on life that that there really is this connection that we can have with God and it will move God in a way that nothing else can. And it's talked a lot about in, in scripture, and I know that this is probably more religious than some of the other shows that we've had, but this is the only way I know how to explain the difference in faith and fear. So I went forward and throughout the next few months, I just began having faith. I, I I just believed that God would do something. And time after time, I began writing it down in my my prayer journal. And I would look back in a couple of weeks and I'd realize that happened, that God did that. What I believed God would do happened. And sometimes it, it I didn't need to go back into my prayer journal to remember it. Sometimes it was a huge, a huge thing that I was believing God to do. And it happened. And I knew it and it would give me goosebumps. It was crazy. And so over over the next few months, I heard Christine Kane at a couple of other events. And I through one of the at one particular session of that, I I had this very strong feeling in my heart that something was about to happen 
in my marriage. And I had this faith that God was about to completely restore my marriage in a way that it hadn't been before. I knew something was about to happen. And I had faith that God was about to break down walls and that the problems that we had been experiencing were go- were about to be over in one in a way. And I had complete faith about that. And it was only a few weeks later that my husband came to me and and talked about some things with me. And it and every after that, all the walls were taken down and our marriage was completely different going forward. It was amazing. It was extremely God's faithfulness throughout that whole thing. And so I've seen over the past year specifically, because that's when God has really been talking with, been putting faith on my heart, that when you have faith that God's going to do something, even if it's not exactly what the specific thing you were believing God to do, God returns that faith. And that's something that is talked about multiple times in many sections of the Bible with Jesus, the the faith of the, the centurion. He didn't even say, you know, he was the only one that he said, Jesus, I believe you can do it without having to go and touch or see my servant. I have faith that you can do it from where you are right now. And Jesus even says, because of your great faith, that you look like you're about to say something. Well, I want to. Uh, OK, so let's go back to those two ladies. The one in Nashville who said, I know that God's going to heal my, my child. Did he? I don't know. And that's one of the points I was going to get to. OK, so when you get to. So one of those things is when you're sitting there thinking, OK, but I do have complete faith. I have faith that God can restore my marriage. I have faith that this can be done and that God can do it. And you may be sitting there thinking, but I've had this faith for five years now and the divorce papers are being put through and we're going to court and everything's going to end in the next couple of weeks. So is my faith returning void? And that's a hard, that's a hard thing. I'm not God. And I, I don't know what God thinks. I don't know what God thinks about your situation or how he works necessarily. I can't explain it, but here's what I do know. And here's what I believe to be true and to be said multiple times throughout scripture, is that if you have faith, God's not going to return it void, even if it doesn't return the way that you expected it to. So what does that mean for you if you're standing for your marriage? If you're the one doing the right thing, even if you can't control your spouse, your spouse's actions, your spouse's actions to stay in the marriage, to end the affair, to stop the addiction, whatever the situation is, if you have faith, and you are doing the right things and the things you need to do, and you have faith that God can restore it, then even if your marriage ends, even if your spouse can't be controlled by God, even if your spouse doesn't change his ways or her ways, God's not going to return the faith that you have had in that situation to say, to be void, to be null and void for you. It, I believe, and I've seen it because I've seen it multiple times, not only in my life, but in many people's lives, that as long as you're doing the right thing, that even if it's not the situation that you're believing God to restore, something in your life will be restored and God will make, will give you double for what you went through. So what about the people then who are praying? Like um, our oldest daughter, Angel, when she was born some 45 years ago, and yes, that means I'm ancient. Some 45 years ago when Angel was born, she went up in Eggleston Children's Hospital in Atlanta, which is an amazing hospital, an awesome hospital. It was 45 years ago, and I'm sure it is today. And there was a young lady there who had her child, and he was losing weight every day. He needed heart surgery. This was a baby, of course. Mm-hmm. And the baby had to weigh X number of pounds. I forget what it was back then, probably different now. But it was either six or seven pounds 
that the child had to weigh back in those days before they could do the heart surgery. And she said, I have complete faith that he's going to gain weight and they can do the surgery and my child is going to live. The child was losing ounces every day and died. So we look at it and go, okay, she had such great faith that God's going to heal the child, but God didn't. And we're going to apply this back to marriage, obviously. But since you started with the illustration of the child, and so how would you, if you were talking to her after the death of that child, what would you be telling her about faith? That would be absolutely heartbreaking. However, here's what I would, here's what I would beg to ask you. If you followed the situation, do you know how she responded to the death of her child? No, I do not. I would wonder if she handled the death of the child better because her attitude throughout the process was different because of her faith. Well, I know of one couple that did. There was a couple of mobile many years ago and they prayed diligently, Lord, but they prayed it this way. And I don't know if the woman in Eggleston was praying it this way or not in those days, but this couple in mobile were praying, Lord, if it be your will, make our child well. And when their child died, they actually went back to the chapel in the hospital and got on their knees and thanked God for answering the prayers. They said it this way. And I wasn't in there listening to all of that, but I was talking to them. And basically it was like, God, we, we know that if you chose to let my child die, it was the best thing. We know that our child is in heaven with you. And therefore we thank you for answering our prayer. Now that seemed to be a great difference in the people who make a claim of faith. Like God's going to bring my husband home. God's going to bring my wife home. And think about the children who pray in such simple, sincere faith because they, they're not as cynical as we are as we get older. And so you got a six-year-old praying with such purity of prayer. God, bring my daddy home. God, bring my mama home. And when that doesn't happen, I, I guess what I'm trying to ask you, Kimberly, is this. Is the faith really in God doing what God knows best to do? Or are some people in their faith actually putting their faith only in God doing what they tell God to do? Mm. And what's the difference in those two things? Right. So when I think of faith, maybe maybe we should go back a little bit on this, but two thing two things come to my mind. First of all, in the past when before growing up in in the denomination I grew up in, when I would hear people pray something like, "God, if it's your will, do this," whatever it is, like with the that thing, in my mind that was always giving God an out so that if God didn't answer your prayer that you weren't upset with God. And so when I was moving forward and started realizing more about faith, I thought it's weird. Maybe that's why I haven't believed in so strongly in faith before, because I thought I was just giving God an out every time. But now I can see, I, I, I see more over the time of God, if it's your will. But I think when you pray that it shouldn't be from the spirit of wanting to give God an out. It should be from the spirit of God. I am relentlessly focused on what your will is. This is what I want for my life. But God, if it's your will, please do this. And I have faith that you can and that you will if it is your will. One of the things that I firmly believe is that there is no darkness in God and he does not want anything bad for us. And so maybe that's that's also one of the beliefs that kind of falls into when I pray and when I think about faith is I know that whatever God answers my prayer in, he's not wanting ill towards me. Nothing that he would do is bad for me. It might be harmful to go. It might be painful to go through it. Nothing's ever going to be easy, but in the end, God does not have a a bad plan for my life. 
I, I think that's a good way, a very good way to say that. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, and of course, if you're not a believer, you're not going to pay much attention to what we're saying about God. But if you are a believer, then maybe you will. And we're going to get to, to the faith that people have, even the faith in the brain, the faith in the body, the faith that, that doesn't include God. But because we are believers, we start with this. But in James 4, verses 13 through 15, James wrote, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Precedent here in the scripture that you pray if the Lord wills. But yet I concur with what Kimberly was saying. I think some people, when they pray, Lord, if it be your will, are actually throwing that in because they don't think God's going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And and there's their way not to feel bad about God when it doesn't happen. So I agree. I think there's some people who pray that way. Mm-hmm. At the same, actually, I think there have been times in my life when I've prayed that way, to be very honest about it. Yet this passage says, basically, when it says, for your mist that appears for a little time and it vanishes, basically what he's saying there, if I understand it, is you don't get to command God. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just so small in comparison to God. You're like the mist. So I can pray, but my prayer doesn't command God. My prayer requests God. And when he looks down, he'll decide what's going to be the best. And that if I truly believe what you just said, that he's going to do what's best, period. If I truly believe that, then then we can pray if the Lord wills, knowing Okay, he knows what's the best thing. That's the thing that's going to happen. And so what you're talking about, if I'm hearing you correctly, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that there is a balance between spiritual arrogance, which basically says, because I believe it, God is going to do it, like I say, mm-hmm. and spiritual doubt, which is, well, I'm praying, but I know it's not going to happen anyway, so let me give myself a way to feel not too badly about when it doesn't. But there's something in between there. That's real faith, but the faith is not that I can command God. The faith is that God will do what's best and God's listening. So, for example, and and we're going to move over to the human side of this in just a second. So, for example, if I'm praying, God, make my wife uh, quit having these emotions for that other man and, and come to her senses and come back home tomorrow. There's this thing, at least in my theology, and I don't know if it's in yours or not, Kimberly, I assume it is, that. God lets people make their own choices. And so may God operate in situations and circumstances? Absolutely he does. But my wife would still have the right to make the choice as to whether she wants to obey or disobey, that God's not going to go down there and all of a sudden reach in her brain and go, boom, all that bad emotion is gone. All of a sudden, all you want to do is what's right. Because that would, in essence, make that person a robot, Mm -hmm. not a human being with choice. Is that how you see it or not? I do see it that way, but I do think that God can change hearts. I don't know if, I don't know how, but I've seen it happen. Well, my understanding, and I am not a theologian, but when you read in the book of Romans about God hardening Pharaoh's hearts, mm-hmm. well, we know how God did it. God sent 10 different plagues, and the way that Pharaoh reacted to those is what hardened his heart. How does God change hearts? I think that he does it through circumstances, situations, and people. In other words, if, if I'm going the wrong way, that God will put obstacles in my way that should be slowing me down and turning me around. Or sometimes God puts just the right person in my life that somehow, some way connects with me like nobody has before. And based on what he or she says, uh, the way they re- interact with me, 
something is triggered that wasn't triggered before. In other words, my opinion, and feel free to disagree, but my opinion is not that God reaches in and flips some switch because it's still going to be your choice, but God does work in situations and circumstances and through people to do those kinds of things when it comes to a change of heart. That very well could be. <laughs> like I said, I don't know how God does it. I just know I've seen I've seen it happen. But going back to this difference in faith and or fear, so we've been talking a lot about the faith aspect of it. But can you pull up James one six real quick? Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the the other major part of this is fear. So many of you are probably sitting out there thinking, okay, I hear what you're saying about the faith part. It's hard to implement, though. I mean, it really it really is. When I was sitting in your shoes, I thought the exact same thing. It's hard to make that switch. But the fear is can be terrible. I mean, it can just be – it changes everything. When you start letting fear take over and doubt take over, it can take you off track of your goal and, and you start acting differently. In James 1 – it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and is driven that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all of his ways. When I read this a few months ago, I thought, oh, my goodness, doubting with if you have doubt in and when you talk to God, when you ask for certain things. I, what it says, unstable in all of his ways, a, dumble, a double-minded man, I just thought I would never want to be perceived that way. I would never want to go to God and ask for something full, wholeheartedly believing he can do it and then doubt it once the prayer is over. Because I don't, I don't know if it's something like God looks down on you and thinks, oh, they're, they're wishy-washy. They don't know what they want. I don't think that's how it works. But I think within us, it just changes the way that we think of God and the way that we think of our situation. We One minute we believe it can happen, and the next minute we just doubt that it can. Well, actually, I think maybe he does look down and do something like that. Let me explain, oh, no. let me explain why. When he says a double-minded man, now, uh, obviously, we are equating doubt and fear here mm-hmm. because they really do tie together. They're not exactly the same thing, but we're talking about the same thing here. He's talking about faith and doubt and, and contrasting the two. We would talk about faith and fear also being a contrast, but look what he says. And we know this is true. When a person is living in doubt and fear, they do become unstable. Mm -hmm. I mean, one day it's like they're doing all the right things to put their marriage back together. And the next day they're doing all the wrong things to put their marriage back together Mm -hmm. because they're so emotionally unstable. Mm -hmm. They're bouncing from one side to the other side to the other side. Now, if God is at work through people, which in addition to all the other things he does, he does that. And so in this particular context, look at how the verse, it started in verse five. It says, if you like wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. Mm-hmm. But, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like, you know, going to be tossed around, et cetera, et cetera. So what does that mean? It means if I'm asking God for wisdom to do the right things that will help to bring my husband back or my wife back or my father or mother back. If there's somebody, you know, praying for their parents, et cetera, somebody I love, my good buddy, my friend to bring him back. Okay. I'm asking God to give me wisdom to do the kind of things that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm doubting, then what's going to happen? I am going to be wishy-washy. I'm going to be wandering one side to the other. I'm not going to be demonstrating this wisdom. I'm going to be demonstrating wisdom one day and total unwisdom or lack of wisdom on the other day. Now, look what he says. That person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Now, why not? 
here's my opinion. Feel free to disagree. People who pray in doubt and then the answer comes, talk about how lucky they are. Mm, that's bad. Boy, we're lucky. <laughs> or man, thank your lucky stars. I've even heard people in church that. Think your lucky stars. Do you not know what you just said? Mm-hmm. That's pure. That's that's a heathen religion. That's not the religion I'm part of. And so if you're praying in doubt and God answers the prayer, we don't honor God. We don't praise God. We don't give him the credit. We think, whoa, man, I'm lucky that worked out. Mm-hmm. So who is the person that's going to give God praise when the prayer is answered? It's the person who prays in faith. And I think, mm-hmm. I really do think what he's saying here is, no, until you believe. Now, can God answer the prayer anyway? Absolutely. For several reasons. One is it may be that you're doubting, but your children are praying in such great faith. God's really answering yeah. their prayers. And could God just choose to do it anyway, thinking I'm going to intervene because I care about the person who's straying and I really want to try to rescue him or her no matter what you pray? Sure he can. But I think what he's telling us in this particular passage that you just brought up is that doubt does us in and God's not real intent on blessing doubt or fear. And there's a quick story in, in the Gospels about the ten talents, the, what was it, ten, four, and two? Yeah, you know more than Ten, me. four, and one. I tell you what, I can't <laughs> believe I'm going blank on that story. Anyway, they got with the one talent, and the talent was amount of money, and the other mm-hmm. two invested their money, doubled it. That particular person, if you remember the parable Jesus told, when he said, why didn't you invest my money? You, know, you went and buried it. Why didn't you invest it? He said, because I was afraid. Mm-hmm. And it was in that parable that the master says, Oh, I'm going to cast you out because of your fear. We don't need to live in fear. We need to live in faith. Now, let's bring in another element to this. Human beings, just by the power of believing themselves, mm-hmm. yeah. can do amazing things, whether okay. they are tied to God or not. Is that correct? Here's where I'm going with that. We know that the power of believing is what leads people to accomplish amazing things. Back in the 1960s, John Kennedy, our fresh young president talking about Camelot, said that we'll be on the moon within a decade and got people to believing it could happen. And and people who already had certain amounts of knowledge when they got fired up and believed it could happen, they worked it out and boom, we've got some men on the moon. So human beings, just by the power of faith. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm not including God. I'm just saying by the power of faith, we know that people who really um, believe they can do things wind up being much more successful at those things than other people. Mm-hmm. And then, based on what we believe, if you take that power of faith, which is amazing just in human beings without any contact with God, if you tie that to God, mm-hmm. now it becomes exponentially powerful. Right, for sure. There's a couple of books that have been written on this. One of them is very old and very strange. <laughs> it's a very good book. It's called Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. But another one is called The Magic of Believing by Dr. David Schwartz. And Schwartz is, Christ- is a Christian. It wasn't written from a Christian perspective, but you can in his writing, he does talk about God and things like that. If you are interested in knowing more about faith and the power of believing. I think that's a great book to start with. It's it's written and it can be it can be consumed in a, many different mindsets. Um a lot of business people read it for wanting to expand their business, but even if it's just believing for certain things in your life, it's still very applicable to that and he breaks it down in a very palatable way that's easy to understand. But the basic premise of it is if you believe something and all of the books say this. There's more than the two I just mentioned and I've read them, but they all go back to the same thing of 
they interviewed people who were very successful and they saw very common traits in between all of them. And the people didn't believe they could fail. They just didn't believe it. It wasn't a thought in their mind. They had complete faith. And these are people like Thomas Edison or Nikola Tesla or uh, the Van or the Vanderbilt family, J.P. Morgan. I mean, these are names you know because they built our country. And it's these kinds of people who they just said, "We believe that we have this idea and we can do it, and we're going to set our mind on it, and we're going to make a plan to get there, and we're going to follow that plan. And if we get diverted at any point, we're just going to try Plan B, but it's still going to lead us to our end goal, and we're going to get there." And they all did. And so let's apply that to marriage for a minute, because that's what we're talking about. What we're trying to say here is that sometimes people whose relationships are in trouble, and I guess you could be, you know, single, you're not even married yet, and your your relationship gets in trouble and you don't want to lose the person that you're in love with. But because we deal with so many marriages, let's apply it to marriage, you're going, okay. Now, let's just take a scenario. Let's say that your your spouse is um, addicted to alcohol. And, and it's getting very difficult to make this marriage work because uh, she's coming home drunk repeatedly and she's sneaking around on those kinds of things. Now, when we would say, okay, the power of believing, don't operate out of fear, don't operate out of doubt, operate out of faith. First of all, have faith in yourself that I can do things that can lead my spouse to get the help he or she needs. I will also have faith that if I can get him or her, in this case, it might be like to Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, that if I can get him or her to that, good things can come from there. I also believe, I mean, what we're talking about here is that as soon as you become afraid and think that's it, I can't do anything, it's over, you change. Mm-hmm. You become unstable. You start backing off. You're not the strong person you need to be. Now, if you've heard what we've said so far with this, if you have that kind of faith, does it necessarily mean that your spouse is going to wind up going to AA, getting the help she needs and getting past the alcoholism. The answer is not necessarily. But what we've been saying is the faith that you have that leads you to do the right things. And if you're a religious person, the faith you believe that God is at work in this will bring a good solution, even if it's not the solution that you want. Now, I'm going to be very careful about this because you're not going to like what I say. It may be that your spouse winds up never coming back. Now, we don't like to talk about that because here at Marriage Helper, we want people to work and we try to help them stand for the marriage and bring the spouse back. But let's say here she never does come back. Let's say that that happens, which sometimes it does. Based on the faith you have in yourself and you, the things that you do, the, if you're religious, your faith in God as well, then while you will hurt that he or she doesn't come back, you will have gained so much in that process Or as Kimberly was saying earlier, God's not going to let that be vain. He's not going to let that just fall apart. Something good is going to happen for you. Maybe, maybe the next person God brings into your life, you have learned so much, you have changed so much, you have grown so much that you'll be a better husband or better wife. Now, we're not saying give up and that it's just for the next relationship. We're saying that even if this one doesn't work out, it can still be a benefit and a blessing to you. Absolutely. So if you're going to break it down into actionable steps that you can do, here's what I would do. Here's what I do. So when I have a new vision for marriage helper or something that I am, that I have faith is going to happen, here's kind of how I, here's the plan of how I do it. First is I start with a specific end goal. What is it that I believe God is going to do? Or what is it that I believe can happen? Um, 
so in this example, if it's I want my spouse to stop drinking alcohol, like Joe was just saying, the specific end goal, I would I would make it more specific. I would either make it I either focused on your marriage or focused on getting your spouse help because I think if you if you make it too vague, then you kind of lose it gets muddled and you kind of lose the traction going forward. So make a very specific end goal. And the next part would be make a plan on how you're going to get to that specific end goal. So if it's I want to try and get my spouse to enroll in Alcoholics Anonymous or enroll is not the right word, but to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. So make a plan for how you might want to do that. Maybe it's you're going to get other people who your husband has respect for and get them to try and convince your spouse to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and go with them. Or maybe there's another way that you can do that, but make a plan for how to do it and make a couple of plans because the first one you try may not work. So make a couple of them. The third part is believe that it can happen because once you believe it can happen, your attitude about it changes. Mm -hmm. You stop getting upset about it or frantic about it. It stops consuming your mind in a negative way. And it, so when you stop doing that, you can start breathing. And when you become calm, mm -hmm. the situation just changes when calmness enters the picture. I agree to the point that even, even if you forget a step of your plan, like you mm -hmm. know, we do things like we have a 10 week course that we guide people through when they're trying to save their marriages, but their spouse doesn't. And we get them lots and lots of things to do. And sometimes they'll, they'll call back or write back and say, now remind me what to do here. Remind me what to do there. When you're calm and you're focused and you are confident in your belief, even if you don't remember the exact thing we told you, you still tend to wind up doing the right thing mm -hmm. because that belief calm and confidence aims you in the right direction. Now we're going to start taking collards. If well, there's you'd a like fourth to... part. Okay. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Go ahead. <laughs> so the fourth, the fourth part is repeat it or pray it daily, depending on how you're going about this, bring it into your daily life where you're thinking about it. It's on your mind, but not in a, in a frantic, fearful way, but on your mind in a, this is my goal. This is how we're going to do it. I'm excited that this is how it's going to happen kind of way. So with faith, with faith. Absolutely. Now, our telephone number is 646-378-0424. That's 646-378-0424. Now, if you wish to talk to us, remember that you need to press the number one. That signals us that not only are you out there, but that you're willing to talk to us. For example, we have a great number of callers that we can see are out there right now listening on their phones, which is fine. We're glad to have you. But if you want to talk to us, you've got to press that number one and it'll move you up to the top of the queue. We'll see you there, and then we can talk to you. For example, we're now going to talk to area code 914. Hello, 914. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hi, guys. It's Tina from New York. Hey, Tina. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I push one because I totally get what you're saying. I um, am back to the church after leaving about 30-some-odd years, and... Awesome. Uh, I kind of always, you know, I it just drifted back into it. I left for, um, based on my childhood, I thought, how could there be someone up there watching out for me and uh, the stuff that I went through? Uh, but now I get it. I mean, I totally get it. I use my so-called brokenness to help animals in need, and I'm usually the one that uh, deals with the harder cases out there for uh, even wildlife. 
of getting mm. through to them. And that's so I started to go back to the church when this all happened with my marriage. And it's so funny because I'm sitting here listening to you. And in Bible study, yes, I go to Bible study, we are actually doing James right now. We just finished for, uh, chapter 4. So I'm like, Pff. and then on the Save My Marriage Facebook, uh, somebody had asked about, is there a Bible study? And I had put out that I do one, and we tape it. So I had sent some people uh, James 4. So it's so funny that, you know, uh, awesome. this, you guys are all talking about that. Sometimes also when you're walking along and you go to those negative uh, thoughts and um, in your head and you don't want to stay there and you're looking for a way to turn it around, what I do is I throw it out to God and I just say, look, you know, God, can you just give me a sign to show me that I'm on the right track? And uh, recently I was walking a dog in this really peaceful setting. It was very quiet and the noise, the peacefulness was interrupted by a, back, a truck backing up. So that beep, beep, beep sound alerted, made me, you know, divert my attention to this truck. And on the top of it, it was a plumbing and heating truck. And on the top of it, it said, help is on the way. Mm. And I just started laughing because <laughs> I just think um, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So well, what I also want to say. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, you know, just don't get so consumed into yourself. Uh, I tell the girls that we run a webinar with still, don't get so, you know, make it, you know, so consumed and, all right, I've got to work this, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix myself. You know, pay attention to the other things because God is giving you little signs and going, you know, don't worry about this, look at this, you know, maybe look at, you know, other things around you is what I'm just trying to say. And that's good. I think that's excellent. And of all the people I know, Tina, you are one person with confident belief. And that's one of the many things that we admire about you. Well, thank you. But I do have bad times. I mean, everyone is, I think everyone's under the impression that, you know, it's all, I'm happy and and, uh, I am a happy person, but I do have sometimes bad thoughts and negative Mm -hmm. thoughts, but I try not Mm to I tell people it's okay to visit, but just don't wallow and certainly don't stay there. (laughs) Amen. I agree wholeheartedly with that, my friend. I do, I do. Well, thanks again, and you guys are doing a great job, and uh, I love, love, love tonight's topic. So keep it up. Thank thank you. you, We love hearing from you, Tina. Take care. Genuinely care for you, Tina. We love you to death. Okay, we're going to go to the next caller now, which is area code seven. One seven. Hello, Area Code Seven One Seven on the Joe Beam Show. Oh, hi. I'm really surprised I got in. Um, my name oh. is Rosemary. Rosemary. Hello. How are you doing? I'm, I'm okay. I have my moments, but I'm okay. Um, this is really interesting because I'm I'm um, devout Catholic, and of course, um, faith and miracles are a big part of you know what I believe in. Um, mm-hmm. And I must say. Um, the other website I subscribe to is um, Rejoice Marriage Ministries, and they they're, it's really excellent. But it's it's um, how can I say? They believe that your you all your marriage will will be restored regardless. Um, um, so I go back and forth with that. Um, my husband left gosh, almost three years ago after forty years of marriage. Um, very mm-hmm. difficult, and, and um, so. <laughs> And I'm like the previous caller, I asked the Lord for a sign, and I, mm-hmm. I read the scriptures a lot, and that's often what happens. Like, um, 
I attend daily Mass. So we have, you know, scripture readings at Mass. And one Sunday night, I said, Lord, you know, I really need a sign. Am I on the right track praying for my marriage? Um, you know, and um, I said, give my husband a Damascus Road experience. <laughs> and um, that, the next day at Mass, didn't realize that. It was uh, the Feast of, of uh, Paul, Peter and Paul. And so that was the reading. <laughs> and um, wow. But those little things happen. So it makes me not give up. Um, but it sure is, it, it's hard to keep that faith. Um, well, I, I have yeah. no doubt that it's difficult to do, Rosemary. I really do. And I, I've never met Joyce, and so please don't hear this as being a negative toward her. We um, we work with a lot of marriages, and we have for a long time. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people have been to our courses and workshops and seminars. I have seen people with great faith who have prayed, and for whatever reason, the other spouse decided that he or she would go do bad things. Now, I hope and pray that your prayers are answered and that indeed your husband does come back. I hope that works. If he did not, would you still have faith? Here's my question. If he didn't come back, if he never comes back, will you still have faith? Um, yes, of course. I would be heartbroken. Good. I mean, I am now, I but um, right. yeah. I have, you know, it's destroyed my whole family. Um, three of my mm-hmm. four children live out of, out of town and the one who lives here doesn't come see me, um, and I don't mm. get to see those grandchildren. That makes it really oh. difficult. I'm, vis- I'm vision impaired too, so I can't go out to them as easily. Um, and I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's it's difficult. And I, you know, I've heard that you might come to Philadelphia, um, which is close to me. Um, the part the, the part that's hard is letting it up to God and not manipulating. Um, there's a real balance between that, you know. A, um, yes, it is a balance. It certainly is a and, balance. You know, my my husband's so angry and bitter. I, I'm not even sure why. Sometimes I, I'm like, wow. I know a lot of it's from his past because he's been angry for a long time. But right. he he has a free will. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, that's the part I struggle with. Um, right. And um, I, I just, you know, <laughs> and I have a brother who's very ill right now with cancer. So that's the same thing. I prayed with him today, you know, mm-hmm. and... You know, and he believes that the tumors will be, um, he, you know, um, radiation he's having now for those so that he can go on with the experimental treatment. But, you know, it, it is hard. And, and um, right. so they still have, you know, they still know they had to get their will in order and, and all of that. Um, I, I guess the hardest thing for me is the loneliness. And, when you know, that's what interferes with my faith. And not knowing what to do, what to say to my husband, he won't take phone calls. The only time he'll contact me is through email is if he's angry or has something to do with money. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, well, I, I'm so sorry. I thought about I'm inviting so him to this the one of your um, oh gosh your weekends, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's a way I can do that. <laughs> well, you know? at, at this point, at this point, there may not be, but I I very much admire your faith. And and I pray that you stay with that faith, as tough as it's going to be to do that sometimes. But you sound like to me that you're a person are of of faith, and and so oh, yes. may yeah. God be with you in that. Okay. Thank you. All thank right. You. All right. You have a good evening. Okay. Thank you. You too. Uh, okay. Again, if, if you want to talk to us, our telephone number is six four six three seven eight zero four two four. That's six four six three seven eight zero four two four. 
Kimberly, we had a question. It's not quite on our topic, and I'm not going to read it all because it's too long. Uh, by the way, if, for those of you who want to send in emails and ask us to answer questions, answer questions when they're really long, we basically skip them, and not because we don't care, but it's because you know it takes so long to read a long question and it has so many things. But this one, I'm going to do it anyway because the person lives in Europe and says he's not able to call because of time differences and costs. And so we're going to try this. All right, very quickly. I'm going to kind of summarize the best I can. All right. <clears throat> um, she moved out of the house last year because she re-encountered a person that she was involved with some 20 years before that she'd loved 20 years before. It was a short affair. And then she returned to her husband. But last September, then the husband started texting and sexting a friend who knew both of them. And a day before his birthday, she found out about her husband's affair. He says he loves her and he wants to keep her forever as a friend. And he thinks he's in love with her, meaning his wife now. Uh, she's saying, but it could be a midlife crisis or maybe they have a future. He's pretty torn apart, as he says. Now, she's read some of our stuff on our website. So she knows about limerence, which is a, a phrase for meaning madly in love. And she said he's madly in love about her and the situation. And I actually told him to be with her as in his message. He says, I don't love him. We don't have sex, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now he's spending the weekends with a wife and the weekdays with the person that he's having the affair with up until February 15th. And now he's with her and saying, let me go. Don't try to force me to stay because I want to be with her. Yet last Sunday he came home and they hugged for five minutes and they kissed. And he said, he wants to come back in one week. And he says, but then he says, I don't want to promise too much. And so basically what she's saying is, okay, now back to the topic for tonight. But my heart goes every minute from fear to lose him to faith that he'll come back. I'm exhausted of this roller coaster and I still need to properly function at work. What should I do? What are the odds for him to return? What can I do? How do I deal with all these fears and these hopes? And that's what she's asking. How would we respond to her about faith and fear? Have you ever heard that I I don't know if this is true or not, but have you ever heard that animals can sense fear in their owners? I I'm, I have heard all my life that if you're in a wild and a wild animal is coming at you, if you're afraid they can sense it and it will embolden them, yes. That is a weird way to say this, but I like we've been talking about earlier, and I think this is another way to to make that an example, is when you have fear, people sense it. So you say that you go from one minute you believe that this can happen, that he can come back, and the next minute you're completely scared that everything's going to mess up and hit the fan, and you say he's you know he's coming back in a week, probably to visit. It's probably not for an amount of time since that's not exactly what you said. But I would think that if while he's there, you keep going between fear and faith, it's going to come out in your actions, and he's going to sense it. And if he senses that, it's probably going to lead him to to con continue to waver because what we what we think when we fear is that oh my spouse will see I'm scared and they'll want to come back and protect me but that's not how it works unfortunately no actually just the opposite just the opposite so if your spouse see is in the middle of an affair with someone else and sees that you are one minute fearful one minute not fearful and happy they're going to think this person's unstable, maybe I should stay with my lover. Or because of the fear, you may wind up, whether you realize it or not, come across as whining and begging and mm -hmm. pleading, and those things almost always um, 
propel the person away from you. And so we're saying that confidence works here. Now you say, okay, what are the odds it'll work out? Obviously I can't tell you the odds because I don't know all the situation. And even if I did, I don't know that I could find a study that would replicate you exactly and say, oh, here are the odds. Here's what I'm hearing when you ask that. You're saying, give me some reason to have some belief. Give me some odds that makes it think that it's going to be on my side so I can believe more. So what we're saying is I can't give you odds. What do you do? You have faith that you can do the right things, that you will do the right things. And if you're a praying person, you pray that God will bring things into his life to straighten him up, to, to lead him back in the right direction, those kinds of things. Fear is against you. Now, even as we say that, some of you guys are listening going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do I make the fear go away? Because, I mean, you're, you think I have some control. I can snap my finger and all of a sudden I'm not afraid. And we respond, no, you know, that, that's a very powerful emotion and it's very difficult to overcome. And that's why Kimberly earlier was giving you a four-step plan. Mm -hmm. Get aimed in the right direction. Do the things you need to do. And you can ask, actually ask God for more faith and wisdom, those kinds of things. If you sit there worrying, fear increases. If you get busy doing the things you need to do to make you a better person, mm -hmm. then those very actions can help you overcome the fear. Mm -hmm. She ends her email. She said that she's listened to all of our podcasts, read all the articles, subscribed to all of our videos. And she said, I would consider the online workshop, but I don't want to wait 10 weeks to get my spouse back. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> you don't have to necessarily wait 10 weeks. In case anyone else has this misconception about the course, yes, it's a 10-week course. You can go through it as quickly or as slowly as you want to and as many times as you need to. A lot of people who are in there, some of them have been able to have marriage restoration in that time. Some of them are still waiting for that, and they're going through the course again. But if that's something that you are considering, then I would definitely do the online courses, the Save My Marriage course. And it we talk a lot in it about how to be mindful, how to get rid of those anxious thoughts, how to get rid of those negative thoughts. We talk much more specifically in detail, uh, hours and hours of videos and interaction with us through the private faith or the secret Facebook groups and all of that thing about that about those things she was asking about. Right. And for those who are not familiar with that, you go to marriagehelper.com. That's marriagehelper, marriagehelper.com slash all one word, save my marriage. Mm -hmm. So marriagehelper.com slash save my marriage. And you can find out about that 10 week course where we can help guide you through that. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, not many callers tonight, a lot of people listening, as we can see out there, but not many people wanting to ask questions. And maybe it's because you're thinking, well, you're in such a specific, I don't know that my question actually is applicable to what you're talking about. And as we wind up the program here for the next few minutes, we will be glad to take your call about anything you want to talk about when it comes to relationships. If you want to get a call or two in before we end this program, we'll do that. I hope that you have gotten the point we're trying to make about faith and how powerful it is and fear and how destructive it is. And, and like I just said, we know that you can't flip a switch and make it change. It's a process. But in that process, as you develop faith, you will actually find greater benefits for you and a greater likelihood that you can bring your spouse back. Now, again, if you wish to talk to us, our telephone number is 646-378-0424. That's 646-378-0424. And... You have to press the number one so they know that you are there. Like, for example, let's call our in area code 480. Hello, 480. You're on the Joe Beam Show. 
Hello, my name is Tammy. Can you hear me? Yes, Tammy, how are you? I'm good. I'm listening to your show. I listen to it quite a bit, uh, especially the one on limerence. I listen to it over and over again, I think, and I have a tendency to um, hear things that I didn't hear before when I Mm -hmm. hear it time and time again. Um, I am a Christian. Um, My husband has had, um, he has left. He's been gone for about a year and a half. He's living with his co-worker that he's having an affair with. Um, Him and I both were saved born again, baptized, Um, and he just, his past just um, came crashing down on him um, from his childhood, watching porn and things like that when he was younger, and left. We, he struggled back and forth, back and forth, so I think he's in a limerence, and I think he was the one going in slower. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he would, tell me how much he loved me and then he would go with her and then tell me how much he loved me and then it just stopped all of a sudden. And I've been praying quite a bit, asking for signs, different things like that. Um, I know my faith, I feel in my heart that God is trying to change me because he has seen me with going through such struggles with him for 24 years. March will be 24 years that we were married. Um <laughs> I really feel God put us together for a reason because I don't think anybody, his whole family is kind of dysfunctional. I mean, his isn't, but his is just, um, they con- mm-hmm. they're condoning his affair and accepting That's her. And, That's sad. and my boys, yeah, it's very sad. And um, when we got married, he said, you know, I, I'd take twins if we could have them. Four months later, I found out we had twins. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm struggling with, you know, God works everything out to the good, but yet I, I go back to the part of Malachi where he says God hates divorce. You know, right. don't, I'm kind of wondering where that part comes in. If he hates divorce, how could he allow certain things to happen if you're a strong believer and one spouse is praying for that spouse? That's a part I don't get is how can mm-hmm. you handle the part where God's promises and everything that's in there and what he believes, yet mm-hmm. he won't mess with free will. Does that make sense? Oh, I understand. I think okay. I think most of us who are believers have had that struggle. And yet we read like in Philippians 3 when Paul said, I want to know Christ. And he goes on to say, and to share in his suffering. And then we, we look at these kinds of promises and we know that God's there and that God fulfills his promises. And when you say, I know God hates divorce, so how can he allow this to happen? We also know that God says, thou shalt not murder. And yet nearly every apostle yeah. was murdered. Not all the apostles, yeah. but most of the apostles are murdered. So we look at it and go, okay, God allows things to happen that he is totally against. But we're back to that free will thing there. What we want to believe, and I do believe, is that, okay, sometimes people do evil. Sometimes they just do absolutely the wrong thing. God is yeah. still there. And, and when Paul says, I want to know Christ, I want to share in his sufferings, I think, I think it's really true that the only way I can really begin to understand Jesus the Christ, the man who was murdered in a very cruel way, mm-hmm. is that I share in sufferings, that in the sufferings I go through in life, and it's not because God wants me to suffer, but as the sufferings occur and God doesn't just jump in and yank me out of them, I actually become purer. I actually, my faith becomes purer, if you will, in that the impurities get burnt out because a person who's living in life and everything's going his or her way and they've never had any problems and they say, I have faith, 
I'm old enough and have lived long enough and been around other people long enough. And if a person says, I have faith, but I've never had anything bad happen to me, I look at them and, and, and forgive me for being a little cynical, but I'm thinking, do you really? I think maybe the yeah. only way you're ever going to know if you really have faith is when things hurt and you're saying, hey, God, I thought you liked me. I thought you loved me. You said you do. Mm-hmm. And God continues to say he does. So that whole problem of good and evil, all the way back to the book of Job, where that whole thing is considered there. I know that God mm-hmm. hates divorce. And yet I know that God has allowed people to do it. Just and, and when they asked Jesus about that, they said, why did God allow people to divorce? He said it was not the intent of God. It was not that way from the beginning, but it's because your hearts are hard. Hardened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus mm-hmm. said. So I know that happens. Now, I hope and pray that your husband comes to his senses. I really do. I hope that he comes back to you. Yeah. It sounds to me like you've been one of the few constant good things in his life, based on what you're telling me. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, when we when we met, um, sensed he was broken, but I mm-hmm. and I had I've been a Christian since I was nine, backslidden here and there, you know. I mean, trying to live mm-hmm. a good life, and then when we got back together, because he had cheated one time, and then he came back just remorseful, and we got mm-hmm. back together. We both got saved. Um, and he, I have letters upon letters of, from him saying, if anyone could have changed me, it was you, and. I just, mm-hmm. I'll never love anybody more than you. And I feel like when we sort of put God aside, that mm-hmm. this is when he come putting stuff in our life to happen to us, like this woman in his life, yeah. just kind of passing through. And it was an emotional affair at first, everything, classic, right. memory, classic. Yeah. Um, but I, cause I never, ever thought he would move in with her. And he always, yeah. always had to try to get a hold of me. And now it's just cut off. I haven't seen him or heard from him in about four months, which is just right. unfortunately for him. Unfortunately, that's the way it goes sometimes. But the good news is that at some point, <clears throat> and I can't tell you when it's going to be, but at some point, limerence is going to end. It always ends. And what we hope happens yeah is that you continue to stay strong, you continue to stay faithful, you continue to stay loving and kind and gentle, so that when the limerence finally does end, he looks back toward you. That's what we're praying for and hoping for. That limerence is a bad, bad place to be. It just messes people's minds up big time. But my recommendation to you, my friend, stay faithful, stay confident, stay calm, and And let's just hope and pray that he comes to his senses and that he comes back to the woman who truly loves him and is good for him. And that is you. I've got one more call I need to get to here. Is there anything else we can help you with right quick? Nope. That's it. Thank you so much. I'm glad I got to get through. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much. And we're going to make this our last call tonight is area code 317. Hello, 317. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? Yes. What is your name? Oh, my gosh. My name's Amy. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty well. How can we help you? Okay. My question is back to fear. And okay. it's funny that this is this is the topic today because um, I'm doing the 10-week course, and so I'm just doing a lot of self-examination, a lot of journaling, a lot of changing myself, mm-hmm. being honest with myself. And um, 
actually last night my husband and I got into a pretty big argument and this morning I was just really disturbed and I, I, I was just praying about it and I feel like God showed me that the main emotion is fear hmm. for me. And so it's not fear that he will leave. It's basically um I feel like we grew up in very different homes with very different communication styles and mm-hmm. His his kind of aggressive style, I realized that it just it almost like overwhelms me, like the fight or flight reaction, mm-hmm. and it takes me a long time to recover. Right. And so I think my question is, um, how to stay? I I just really I, I just was really understanding when you when you talked about the verse in James. Mm-hmm. Why, why the emotional instability is there when you are double-minded, when you have fear? It, it does create kind of an emotional, like instability. I, I just mm-hmm. saw that in a new way. Toward that, that's kind of how I become just like kind of overwhelmed, and I'm I'm not really communicating well, or you know, you get hijacked a little bit, and so. Um, my question is, I, I just came from a, like a really laid-back family. We we all really get along, love each other. We we really don't argue. We have a lot of siblings. And he came from a home with a lot of strife, a lot of arguing. And so even we've been married 20 years. Even still, it's just hard for me uh, to adjust to that, you know, kind of argumentative, dismissive. Turns turns conversations into rabbit trails and and so I'm learning just to not be emotional, but but I felt like today God was really showing me that the main underlying emotion was fear. Mm-hmm. What are you scared of? And, well, and that's what I was thinking. Like I think I'm just afraid of like I think it's just the constant like rejection that you get when somebody, you know, the control, like when someone is controlling you and rejecting what you're saying and Mm -hmm. manipulating you and kind of Mm -hmm. dominating and not, not coming at you from a love, from love, like. Right. So you do understand that the way that you can stop him from being controlling is not to get angry and fight back, but to become very strong and very calm and to refuse to accept that kind of control. And what you're talking about is definitely true. Different personality styles clash. That's why we talk about that during our intensive three-day workshop for marriages called 911. But if, if you want to operate in a way where you can stop him from doing that, and unfortunately we don't have time to explain it all here, but it would be because you calmly draw the line and say, I'm not going to fight back with you, but at the same time I'm not going to tolerate being dominated and controlled, yelled at, and all those kinds of things. I, I, I wish I had a lot more time to explain that. Have you listened to any of our podcasts on control? Yeah, I just went through the control um, the control series. I think that was lesson six, maybe, uh, uh, in the series. And, of course. and then you had one, I think, last week. You had a call about control. And, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's what I webinar. noticed in our last conversation was the constant well, in the next cup, I, I, in the next few weeks, I'm going to do another one of these programs about control. It's it's not going to be next week. It'll be in the next few weeks. I'm going to do another one on control, and 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 that one come at it a whole lot from if you're being controlled, what do you do? How do you handle that? 
Unfortunately, we're out of time tonight, so I can't really give a good answer to that, to that tonight. But I do suggest strongly that, that you calmly set some boundaries where you say, I'm not going to yell back at you. I'm not going to fight with you. But I'm also not going to let you dominate and control me. And I, I wish I had more time to explain what that means. Okay, that's helpful. I think my main question was, is it something that you overcome the fear through um, communicating with them how they make you feel, or is it that's not really going to be the answer? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you could communicate with them, you evoke a lot of fear in me, or is is that mm-hmm. person probably not going to really get it? Like, whatever. Well, you know, it, de- that's it, your problem, it depends. Or, it depends on what this it depends on a couple of things one being the state that they're in when you tell them that if they're angry or if you're in the middle of a fight when you say that to them they're probably going to view it as you trying to get out of the fight so they're probably going to react negatively in this case it's your husband he's probably going to react negatively but if it's in it's at a time when you're having a good communication when things are not stressful when there's more peace between you and saying, Hey, you know, at this moment, when you do this kind of thing, it can make me feel this way. Then it's more likely to be successful that way. But if you really want to get over the fear, you're going to have to make a decision within yourself, no matter what he does or how he reacts to when you say it to him, you're not going to let that fear control you. And you're not, you're not necessarily replacing the fear here with faith. I mean, you, you can, that's one option, but you're more so trying to replace it with calmness and peace within yourself. Yeah, that's so good. That's so true. All right. That, well, thank you really so much helpful. for calling in. Okay, and we'll do a program. You. Okay. We'll thank do a program you, soon on control. Uh, let me just leave you guys with one verse as we've, we've talked about the Bible tonight. It's in second Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse nine. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What is he saying? Is he saying we should be weak people? No. He's saying that when we're in situations where we feel weak, in other words, people are insulting us or things are going bad or somebody's persecuting us, that in those situations when we would tend to feel weak, we remember that we're in Christ Jesus, if indeed you are, and you know that even in those situations, you are strong. And that is the power of faith. What would you like to say as we end up? In summary, choosing between faith or fear, always choose faith because faith wins every time. Faith awakens God. And we talked a lot about James 1 earlier tonight. And the one thing I noticed that surrounds all the verses that we were talking about was talking about, especially in verse 12, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation, talking about them having faith and asking God in faith. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So just going back to when you have faith, God does have good that he's wanting to bring into your life, even, it does, even if it doesn't come in the way that you expected it to come. Very good. And we'll be broadcasting next week, beginning at 9 p.m. Central Time, right here on Marriage Radio. Until then, may God be with you.